before we start the podcast, I just want to um, formulate an apology for last week's podcast. The uh, the quality wasn't as good as we hoped it would be, but uh, yeah, I think I owe you guys this heartfelt apology, uh, which goes like this. It's free, so fuck you. Apology. <laughs> Was that the best way I could have put it? <laughs> you have to keep it all in now. That's all in. We're started. No going back now. Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, your caring host, Andy White. And with me today, we have a full-strength squad. Offering no apologies, Martin Theobald. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> Being the root cause of the fuck-up, I offer zero apologies uh, <laughs> and zero fucks. <laughs> I heard it all perfectly. <laughs> it was good. See so yes, welcome to this New Age Boxing Podcast, where we have, like I say, full squad, and we... I suppose maybe we'll start with how is your how oh how is your family emergency panning out? Yeah, I think my my daughter owes us an apology and the listeners an apology. So you know, I wasn't going to say it, but on behalf of one year old Orla, <laughs> she can't talk herself. So you know, she is massively sorry for me having to leave early last week and uh, go home and sort her out. But yeah, all back in one piece, and, uh, and I'm here. Until I get you... a text. <laughs> how was your week, Terry? Oh. Uh... Boxing, you know, the usual, isn't it? It's one of those flat weeks in boxing. Um, you know, a few little tidbits of gossip. Don't know if they can get let out on the podcast. You know, we'll allude to them. Don't worry, and we'll hope our audience will go and ask the right questions as well. Well, uh, we have a bunch of questions from you, dear listener, and but there's one thing that we're not entirely sure if when we're talking about this uh, this podcast, there's one thing we think we might have missed out. So maybe we'll stumble across it, maybe we won't. What's the what's the bets? Probably not. I mean, to be fair, we normally diverge so far from what we intended to discuss. <laughs> well, that's what I'm hoping, we yeah. We might hit something by accident. <laughs> Titanic style. I suppose the most logical place to start is last night's ITV card, um, which we all... Did you watch all of it, Andy? <laughs> How did you find it? You were very, you're very vocal about the, the, the whole fight. Like, yeah. Surprisingly technical. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with it all. Um, did you watch it? Yeah. Kind of. I, what, which one? <laughs> oh yeah, smashing some bird. <laughs> right, let's cut to the chase. Um, <laughs> thanks, for the, <laughs> thanks for the link, Terry. I watched it for a little while before I had to go and take care of some important business. <laughs> <laughs> there were no worms in this one. <laughs> Jeez, right. Um, but let's talk about... Your the, love life. Let's talk about Chris Eubank Jr. Um, was it him you had to take care of? <laughs> how how did he perform? What did we gain from this fight? And what did the fight go like? Very similar to your evening. He beat someone around the ring for... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I just, just wanted to get the job done quicker, but couldn't. <laughs> 
tried absolutely everything. Let's start again. <laughs> I don't think we can. <laughs> so, right. You're not editing that out. Fuck off. <laughs> Edit points getting beaten around the ring. No way. Uh, uh, are we starting with Chris? Let's, let's build up to Chris. Let's go through the undercard. Right. Do we have your arm? Uh, right, let's start. Let, let's do the text before we do the action. You know, you've got to have the structure. Yeah. <laughs> Kid Galahad starts us off for the night. Last, when I say last minute change of opponent, we're not talking like, you know, last minute might typically indicate it was changed last during the week. last 24 hours or something like that, yeah. It was changed like on the evening. Um, <laughs> and the word is that his original opponent was, uh, wasn't aware that it was a pay-per-view show, so asked for more pay than what he was actually being given when he found out it was a pay-per-view show and refused to fight for it. So they had to switch around Jordan Gill's opponent. Jordan Gill was on as a floater for the evening, so he was going to be filling in the gap as and where, or put on at the end. They had to take his opponent and give him to Kid Galahad instead. (laughs) It was a shocker because, you know, we were all looking forward to Galahad against Egberko, tough guy. But Egbeko was then, you know, my, my theory is he already knew it was a pay-per-view because the guy can fucking read, right? Let's be absolutely clear about this. This wasn't, so it wasn't a mystery. And he did what anyone would do, you know. He went, right, at the last minute, I'm going to ask for more money. They can't get a replacement, possibly. You know, so there's like a gun to his head. And then, you know, ITV went, all right, mate, you're not on the show. We'll, we'll just switch it around. I don't know if it's official that's what's happened or if if what's official is that he had a cold. I don't know which way around it is, because I've also seen that story, but I have it There's on nothing like a money cold, is it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> can I just put, like, £20 on it now that he ends up fighting Scott Quigg at Scott Quigg's next fight? Like, I would not be surprised in any way whatsoever if his phone also went from Eddie and said, why don't you fight Scott Quigg instead? I'll pay you X amount for it. Don't go and fight Kid Galahad. Would not surprise me at all. Gonna throw out there. Well, I fully agree because you know the things you learn in this industry, I guess, is that uh, everyone's a crook. No, but these boxers show up, right? And they get their ninety-day visa or whatever, and they just go, "Do you know what? I'm gonna float around. Someone's yeah. gonna need me." So who's the highest bidder? Yeah. So <laughs> so you, you show up as a gun for hire, and then these sorts of things happen. Um, would you put a Becker in with Quig? Yeah, but. Where's the story in that? Because then you're saying, well, actually, this guy was clearly too good for Galahad. And it's not good enough for Galahad. And now you're putting him in with Quig. Just put Quig in with Galahad. And this is, you know, but that's, that's typical Hearn, avoiding what the real issue is. Yeah, it's another fight we don't get to see how good Galahad really is. Because, you know, the guy, fair play, he was brought in as a last-minute replacement. Um, and he, he didn't offer anything, really. Kid Galahad takes him apart. Uh, moving on, I'll fill in some of the gaps for you, Andy, because I realise you were... Filling in some of the gaps. Adam <laughs> <laughs> uh, matches uh, John Ryder. How bad was that fight? How bad was that fight? That was... Did you see Etches' elbows? He was just doing the chicken wing, wasn't he? Like, it was he... so weird. <laughs> and Ronald McIntosh trying to convince us he's well-schooled out of the Ingle camp, and I'm looking at his elbows and his guard, and I'm like, mate, you're embarrassing yourself. Yeah, Joe Mullinder, um, not Joe Mullinder, sorry, Lee Markham tweeted <laughs> about something um, you can see why Etches has only ever fought three English opponents. And he was terrible. He was absolutely terrible. John Ryder is no world beater, but, you know, he just handled 
Adam Etches with absolute ease. Adam Etches has nothing other than a straight right hand. He looked tubby at the weight. Like, why has he moved up to super middleweight? There was no point in him whatsoever doing that because he just looked like he'd moved up to super middleweight via KFC. It was fucking <laughs> dreadful. It was, it, was, um, it was an embarrassing fight for a lot of reasons. Number one, if you were going to put someone in with John Ryder, Etches, Etches is just... He, at best, he's a Channel 5 fighter and he should be writing home to his nan and whatnot saying how great that is. But he's he's borderline area level, in my opinion. I don't think he, he couldn't put him in for a British title. Guys like Craig Richards and Umar Sadiq would school him right now. I don't... I hear, you know, and, and we'll come on to Ronald McIntosh in a second. The guy talks so much shit about the grit and the toughness. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sorry, I'm bored of that fight. Yeah, Richie Woodall, though. Richie Woodall had it scored um, even. Going, despite, the the fact, no, despite the fact his scorecard had it one point up to Ryder. He then went, nah, that's not right. I've got it even, actually. No, no, it was one point up to Etches. Oh, was it? <laughs> it was one up to Etches. He managed to correct his own wrong scorecard. With like, He then says, yeah, uh, he thought he had it even going into the last round. Honestly, if you had that even going into the last round, you're a fucking idiot. I had a theory on this. I thought Woodall, I thought it was just a tape recording. They just took one of the ones he did for Channel 5 and just played it. Like, like I don't think him and Macintosh were there. They just played. Because <laughs> they spliced it together in places every now and then. They say the same things for every fight. It was dread, like such bad commentary throughout the entire evening. We've said it before on the last, the Preston show, that they're a poor pairing. They did nothing to dispel that whatsoever. Richie Woodall... How you're meant like there were three fights, uh, three fights left after that fight. Why should I take anything Richie Woodall says seriously from that point onwards when he's got that score to draw after 11 rounds? It was awful. Oh, the classic Ronald McIntosh, <laughs> was it? All of his stoppages <laughs> have come inside the distance. <laughs> It's a very fair point. Oh, you stupid bastard. <laughs> you know, you, you're the guy that's... You mean, because let's be honest. What does Ronald McIntosh do when there's no amateur boxing at the Olympics and there's no European championships in the amateurs and Channel 5 aren't doing any boxing? What does Ronald McIntosh do? Is he like a cab driver? What's his real job? Does anyone know? Please tweet me an answer. Because he's definitely... He, de- he does not work on his craft. Man, because he was fucking shocking. <laughs> I think um, nine and a half minutes in, we've definitely broke our swearing record. <laughs> what did they get Ward in to do? I thought they were going to get Ward to do what he does in America, right? Sit there, watch the fight and give us some insight. Look, there should be one commentator that that, that tells us what the fuck is going on in there, <laughs> right? Just, just in case... No, no, seriously, just in case I'm making I'm making a pot noodle or something. Or sorry, no, 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 no. What do they call them now? Uh, ramen, a ramen, a pot of ramen. That's what you call it now, the posh pot noodle. If I'm making one in the kitchen, I want to still hear what's going on. So I need him to do that. And I need the other commentator, who's meant to be Richie Woodall, to tell me the stuff I can't necessarily see. Now, what Richie Woodall does is go, wow, at long range, he does this. At mid range, he does that. Short, and he just keeps saying long range. You stupid fuck. <laughs> I can figure that bit out for myself. I want you to tell me why the hell this guy can't get into range. And then we, you know, and he said, "I see. He said the wrong word. Sorry. I look. I don't was care." It was supposed to be "fuck" or something like that. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, but, no, no, we had enough of them. But to be honest, you know, and if Richard Poxon or the Poxon Sports guys I met on Friday are listening to this, 
sort that out. Get your commentary team sorted because you had Lennox, you had Andre Ward, legends. You had Duke McKenzie. For me, I respect Duke a lot. I think he's the unsung hero of British boxing. A three-time world champion, never gets the credit he deserves. So you had a pretty strong panel that weren't commentating, that were giving analysis. And then you just had fucking donkeys for the rest of the night. Get us in after nine. We'll be fine. Yeah. Lots of watersheds passed. We actually did have a question, um, and... I'm not. I don't remember who asked it. It might be James McDonald, but I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. But whoever it is, I apologise. Um, but actually, asked us if we would do uh, commentary via Facebook Live for boxing, and then they would turn down the commentary and just listen to us <laughs> talking about it. No, we're waiting for the Goodwin live on Sky Sports shows, but <laughs> we're doing those. Um. So. <clears throat> so uh, what? What next? What? What fights do, do we have next? Uh, what was up next? Was it Chris Congo? Chris Congo. Was up next? I mean, he looked great, but the opponent didn't. Yeah. It's <laughs> what it comes but, down to. But as we said, we were the first podcast to talk about Chris Congo when he was on the Dovebox show. And we said this is exactly the platform he needs. Um, very composed, very tough Congolese fighter. I'm looking forward to see what happens when he starts to step it up at 147 because he. He's not far off giving a hiding to someone like a Sam Eggington, that's for sure. He's not that far off. So, really, really happy that he got his platform and I'm happy that people got to see him. You know, you could hear the South London noise in the building, which is nice. But, really, everyone should look out for Chris Congo. At this point, what did you think of ITV's production, etc.? Better than Channel 5, but light years behind Sky. It's not slick yet, but... Let's give him time. You know, I know we've shat on a lot of stuff today, but I'm prepared to give ITV time to get this right. There's stuff that doesn't work at the moment. Um, I said it yesterday on a phone call. What Sky are really good at is creating a fantastic standalone event. Even if there were no cameras at a matchroom show, you'd leave there going, that was amazing. And then all they do is they film that. ITV films something and then they're almost like the audience side of it is an afterthought. You know, but I don't know. We liked the fact that you could hear the corner work. Yes? No? Well. That it didn't break away to random adverts, you know? It probably um, doesn't necessarily favour the corners, to yeah. be honest. Um, you know, it opens the door a little bit to stuff that fans don't normally get to see because Sky cut away during pay-per-view and non-pay-per-view uh, to adverts during those one-minute breaks. It was interesting. I quite liked hearing um, how lost Dominic Ingle was. <laughs> come, Adam up, come up with a strategy for Adam Edges other than just keep your hands up. Just keep yeah. your fucking hands up. Yeah, I found that quite interesting to be honest because you know you're all sat there at home thinking Adam Edges can't fight particularly well. Every time he gets hit, he goes square on. Every time he gets hit. He ends up in the middle of the ring looking like he's on the ropes. <laughs> it's, what he, it's like there's an invisible set of ropes behind him because he suddenly goes square on and starts almost to lean back. Yeah, he said, where are they? Yeah, and then it's like, no, mate, you're another five foot away from reaching them yet. So uh, Dominic Ingle is pissing in the wind trying to sort that out in a minute. Oh, what, about, what, about, what about Sims and Ryder? Um, you know, I like those guys. I'm not going to lie to you. The, the Sims guys and good guys have been decent to me. But early on when the fight looked relatively even... Sim sounded like a guy who didn't want to be in that corner. Look, mate, you got to go out there and you got to throw that backhand and then go into the hook, mate. You know, can't be bothered, mate. Get out there. 
That's all it was, really, wasn't it? Um, but they've turned around John Ryder's career because I think that was literally, if you lose this, um, I mean, Mickey Elliott will be knocking on your door. So Ryder's bought himself some time, test him out, test himself out at 168. You know, maybe he'll get a Eubank fight. Don't know. But at least Ryder's still relevant now because he's a guy who's respected. In the boxing world, people respect Ryder and what he can do. There's just something between what happens in the gym and what happens in the ring that they need to close that gap. I actually, I didn't have an issue necessarily with the production values of it. It was clearly a step up from the Preston show, which you would hope because it was a bigger venue. You know, presumably there's a bigger budget with it being pay-per-view, etc. I thought they did an okay job with it. I mean, it wasn't the O2 on a Saturday night on Sky, but I would say it's maybe on a par with the standard Sky show. Um it just doesn't quite have the character around it yet. And by character, I'm not talking necessarily about good things, but things you're familiar with. So the Sweet Caroline, the bunch of pissed up fans that will be singing along to it. All those things that you're familiar with when you watch a Sky boxing show, they're not there yet on an ITV show. But, you know, they had okay stage. I quite like the stadium where they get the fighters up after and talk to them. Um, I'm okay with that. I thought it was okay. I it didn't stand out but it wasn't bad do you think that um, and i'm only going from your two's exasperation with sky's productions etc the commentary everything surrounding most most of it and some some elements of it anyway um has maybe given you more of a tolerance towards itv because it is something different and you hope for more for the future well no because we remember what happened when sky first got into boxing their shows were crap as well go back to the old sky shows they they weren't that great so i've said it many times i'm prepared to give itv a chance because they have to learn as well so it's time you're willing to give itv time because because they have i'm hoping on monday they have a review session what worked what didn't work and they eliminate the stuff that didn't work richie woodall ronald mcintosh Get rid of them. I think the biggest problem that you've probably got if you're ITV is that Sky have made boxing so popular and so successful on a Saturday night. How do you go about replicating that without copying that? That's possibly the biggest problem you've got because if you just make a carbon copy like for like, if you whack on Sweet Caroline just before the main event, people are going to know that you've copied the template. So how do you adjust it enough that it looks different but you you keep that same success. I'll tell you who had the answer. Um, <clears throat> the David Hay shows had the answer to that. So, so before David Hay came out to fight the Cobra, just where we had Fat Man Scoop, Fat Man Scoop, Fuck Lethal B, everyone, and and you can knock the choice of music, but what what it did before the Hay fight is it got the crowd dancing, and you know you by then you've had a few beers anyway, so it got everyone dancing. So when when Hay comes out to McFadden and Whiteheads ain't no stopping us now. You're already hyped and you're all dancing. I don't know if they filmed that part of it, which they should have done. But, you know, those sorts of things are the things ITV should be looking at. You should be looking at, well, actually, what could we incorporate? You know, first thing they should do, they should just tie Andre Ward down to a contract. Whatever he asks for, give it to him. What do you, what do you, if you had to name the three elements you dislike, not people, but the three elements you dislike about a Sky slash Matchroom production, what would it be? I'm not allowed to name individuals. Yeah, because I'm, the easy way out of that is just to name three people you don't like. <laughs> I don't necessarily like the commentary teams. I'm not talking about individuals, mm. but I don't like them bringing in mates of the fighters. So when you get, 
you know, Paul Smith commentating on a Scott Quigg fight or something like that. That doesn't do anything for me. Um, I'm not a fan, <clears throat> you know, I've said it many times, of the the sweet Caroline making it an event uh, element of it. I mean, yes, boxing is thriving because of it and for bring, like bringing in a different um, market. And that's fine. There's lots of money being brought into it and fighters are making a living. So really, I shouldn't be criticising it. I just, I don't like it. Um, it's not to say I don't think it should be there. It's just not my personal taste. Uh, third element, the personalities, the, the build-up to things. I don't, and it's not necessarily about a Saturday night fight night. I just, I'm bored of the gloves are off. I'm bored of Johnny Nelson hosting them. It becomes a little bit stale. Like Because you get success, you stick to that same formula um and so there are those things that although you've got success i think maybe you need to evolve it a little bit i don't want to see johnny nelson set between david hay and tony bellew unless they fucking <laughs> unless all three of them are holding a gun and they've got free reign that's the only way i want to see or they're trying to work out who the donkey is <laughs> terry you're three maybe so with me mostly with skies a lot of fights i don't care about you know i'm <clears throat> That are built up just as much well, as the fights just, you're just, supposed just to Just crap fights on the damn yeah. card. So if you look at an American pay-per-view, you'll get a main event. The main event will have some kind of meaning. It's a unification, also a guy going for a title, also resolving a grudge match. They'll always have that as your main event, and they'll focus on that. Then they'll have a young prospect who's been highly touted stepping up. All right? And then you'll get some old stages who are at the same stage in their career, just slugging it out, knowing that you're going to get a bit of a war. With American cards, there's always a structure to them which says, actually, you're going to be entertained across all the dimensions of boxing. We're going to give you the past. So you might, you know, in the old days, you get like an Arturo Gatti fight. And go, I remember when he was top of the bill. But he'd have a little, you know, 10-round slugfest like he did with Mickey Ward. And then you get, you know, your prospects stepping up. Like the, the time when Mayweather fought Zab Judah, you know, he stepped up. You know, you get those sorts of fights. But what you don't generally get are these filler fights where it's like, well, we're going to get this 19-year-old and he's going to fight some Hungarian taxi driver, which I have no interest in. Um, you know, I like seeing guys like O'Hara Davis evolve, but I genuinely think between zero and 10 bouts, you should be fighting at your call. You know, that's exactly where you should be until until you have something identifiable that you can market. And I don't think Sky have cracked that yet. I totally agree with Martin. You know, you've got mates talking about mates. That's why I like it when David Hay comes and does commentary because he'll he, fuck everyone off. Yeah, he'll just be, give his honest view. As will Carl Froch, strangely enough. Froch will just go, yeah, you know, could have done better. You know, not much good at scoring though. But generally, you know, when you've got guys like Paul Smith and Bellew, they don't really want to upset the apple cart. So I don't know how you fix that. It's. So to sort of summarize, your main, both of your main complaints are having sycophants comment on coming on their mates yeah. and and having something that's worth watching in front of you um that seems to be Do you know the problem with sky and matchroom let's look at the wwe what i love about wrestling and as fake as wrestling is they'll sell you a story so you look at john cena now they can show you footage of john cena from when he first started or when he first auditioned and so you can see the lineage. They have that because they've invested in people they believe are the future. Where are the videos of Connor Ben? Where are the little, even like a little 15-minute documentary on Ahara Davis um, or Craig Richards? Have one of those. Or people, you know, just Sky Sports, just shine light on boxing. Do a 15-minute documentary on Umar Sadiq. Have Umar Sadiq, you know, when he goes to 
junior boxing clubs and helps out and stuff like that. Show that and sell us those stories because they're interesting. So when the guy does show up on pay-per-view, I already know what he's about. Yeah, but I think that's a problem with British sport in general. They they want to sell their souls to the media, but you look at American sport, like, for example, NFL or, like you say, WWE, they're all a lot more media accessible. You have, they have, like, days before the Super Bowl and all that stuff, the media invade the pitch with all the... And they have interviews of all of the players and that. You wouldn't get that in football. Footballers want to be highly paid superstars, but then they just shut up shop and they want to, They don't want their private lives invaded or ha- be too available to the media. They got a ten minute or ten second interview at the end of a match. I think, and that's I think the same with, with boxing. If they had more, if they were more available and they would give up more time, ninety percent of boxers will give up their time. Yeah, if not ninety five percent. So I mean, maybe that's the media. Maybe it's the British it's, media then. Well, so here's an example, right? You talk to any boxer about what happens in the gym. Ah, oh, mate, 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 what goes on in the gym stays in the gym. Um, can't reveal nothing about sparring. Can't reveal this, can't reveal that. And I'm sat there like, you stupid fucking idiots. Like, that's revenue. Like, you're keeping secrets to yourself that aren't making you money, right? This is what holds boxing back. There are too many of these grey-haired guys in tracksuits who believe in these old-fashioned values that don't suit the modern world. As a journalist, like, look... <clears throat> ITV boxer should walk into a gym and have person X barring person Y. You know what I mean? Get get a couple of minutes of footage. If someone gets knocked out, leave that bit out. But get that footage. Show the intensity. You know, talk to the guys. Have the guys on the edge banging the... You know what I mean? Show that and go, this is what happens before the fight. Because that content's golden. And they don't do that. And that's why... Because, you know... And it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll, I'd like Twitter responses to this. Because my theory is this. If you're a boxing fan... You're just fed stuff. And you're like, who's this guy? There's no build-up. There's no preamble. There's no story. Now, I was watching a documentary. Um, and I know Blessed With Work has seen this one as well. So, shout out to Sam Khan. It, it's it's one of the ESPN 30 for 30. And I think most people have seen at least one 30 for 30. How incredible are those documentaries? They take what is essentially an innocuous event. And they give you this whole backstory. And there's this really rich seam of footage. And... You become invested in it because you're like, wow, like this is interesting. You couldn't do that for Anthony Joshua because they keep everything so secret. So then you end up not caring about Anthony Joshua unless we get these hackneyed documentaries where he walks through but past his old street and we don't care about that. <laughs> Walking under an underpass, classic Anthony Joshua. He's always hanging around underpasses now, isn't he? Bollocks, <laughs> leave it out. It's so obviously manufactured, isn't it? Not once have they interviewed John Oliver, his coach at Finchie. Not once have they said, actually, John, AJ's about to fight Klitschko. Give us an insight into the guy who came here green as hell. And then you polished him up into a damn good amateur. Tell us about that. And John will sit there and he'll talk to you about, I had Derek Chisora. He was this kind of character. And we did well with him. I had Anthony Joshua, completely different character. We did this with him. That's you know what, interesting. Do you know what the difference... I genuinely believe, if you think back to how the FA Cup was broadcast 15, 20 years ago when I was growing up, the FA Cup, you know, like when you got to the latter stages, so that, especially if you had a smaller team get there to like the quarterfinal, semi-final, final, then on final day, you get like half a day's worth of stuff about going back to those roots of where the players have come from You'd get the interviews with the old amateur coaches. If the BBC could pick up boxing... Yeah, imagine the BBC had Klitschko Joshua being shown on a Saturday night. I genuinely believe like, they could have those 
dedicated documentaries and things to it that yeah. would take up that time on the day or in advance. I just I don't think Sky are that invested in boxing. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right to be honest. I mean, how much how much are they genuinely invested in in any sport? Really, they yeah. just milk everything, don't yeah. they? That's all they they're no, no, farmers with, rather than anything else. With, with football, they kind of do. So you you'll get you know they'll they'll rehash their their catalogue, right? So you get the these were the days of our lives, whatever it is, or Premier League years, and that yeah, they, sort of they stuff. do have old boxing video. Like eventually, if, if you do get old boxing matches on there, but you don't get the you don't get the guys talking about it now. Looking back, yeah, you just get, I mean, I suppose it, it's, that. Here's my my thing with size. If you believe Eddie Hearn, right? <clears throat> Sky Sports boxing generates billions, and then you ask yourself, so why don't they invest it in additional content to make even more money? So you get the impression that Sky like. Mm, you know what, this boxing thing... It's too much money. We can't make any more. Well, no, no. I, I, just, <laughs> I don't think it's as profitable as Mr. Hearn would no, have you believe. No, it clearly isn't, yeah. Okay, so I guess we move on then to David Price. Yeah! Price, Yo, Price. This is the point where I'm going to step back and I'm just going to let Martin... M- Martin speaks for all of us at this point. Right. David Price. You fat fucking waste <laughs> of space. You fat fucking waste of space. What the fuck was that last night? I hope you... Yeah, I'm sure you don't listen. That's fine. Someone pass it on to him. And I know. I've seen so many comments like, oh, people can't criticize David Price. Haven't been in the ring themselves. Didn't look like he'd been in the ring himself before last night. What's he fucking doing? Absolutely shambolic, right? Christian Hammer. And again, Macintosh is here on the uh, the commentary talking about uh, Price had put a beating on him in the amateurs, broken his nose, etc. Those past beatings are going to live with you a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really looked like it last <laughs> night, didn't it? Really looked like it last night. And so, I mean, the the farcical commentary, like it, it was almost as if their commentary was run by a parody account at times last night. <laughs> Honestly. Because you've got Macintosh going on about the aggressive jab that Price is using. All that Price was doing was just holding his left hand out. And occasionally, like he maybe threw two decent jabs through the whole fight. <laughs> what, what were they doing? David Price comes in looking like fucking Marshmallow Man at Ghostbusters. Like, you've got a man who's known for not having a good engine on him. So rather than trimming him down and getting him in shape, you fatten the fucker up. It's not Christmas for a turkey, Dave Coldwell. It's a boxing match where his man's career is on the line. Dave Coldwell has taken this man on and like he keeps telling us that he's reinvigorated him. He's done this, he's done that to him. And what do you get? You get a man who's overweight. Like, honestly, if you looked at his BMI, he should probably be put down. Like <laughs> It was so bad watching him come into that ring. And then you buy him a fucking dressing gown that's 20 sizes too big. That must be made in millets. That was awful. <laughs> And so, he just, what the, oh, it's frustrating. You know the best bit? The best bit was, I was sat there and I was watching this, and I was like, there's a professional coach in that corner that's told a 20 stone man to dance around the outside of the ring. Yeah, get on your feet, David, go for a walk. Go for a walk! The man was blowing out of his arse after two rounds. Did, did Did anyone see the moment when Christian Hammer was like, I just have to not get knocked out? where he went he went because before he was he was all trying to get inside and then he realised actually if I just keep him scared he's going to keep running and blow himself out if you could see inside Christian Hammer's head I think probably by the end of the fourth round 
you would have just seen a little loop of that scene in The Simpsons where Homer's getting punched in the face <laughs> and then just like waits and eventually just you know, touches the bloke and knocks him over. Because that's all that Christian Hammer had to do. He gets knocked down himself. And you see when he gets knocked down, what he does, he gets on his knee and he looks around and he takes his time. He composes himself before getting up to his feet and seeing out the end of that round, Christian Hammer. That's all he did. He would clinch, he would hold, he got through to the end of that round because it was a good uppercut that Price he landed on. A very good uppercut. And then Price just fell apart again. Like When he folded over that top rope. (laughs) What was he doing? It was the most... Was Was he asking for advice? I don't know. Was he trying to tag someone in? That? <laughs> I don't know. It was like watching a giraffe drink water. <laughs> it just literally, like, from the waist, because he's so tall, because he's so big, because he can't oxygenate his body, because A, he's so big, and B, he's so fat. He was, like, bending over the top rope. This is while the fight's still going on, by the way. I'm not talking, like, once the bell's rung at the end of a round. He bent himself over the top rope, <laughs> like, taking shots off hammer. Like, you genuinely sit there at home thinking, this is one of the most embarrassing performances, like, on the whole. Because once he'd knocked out or hammered down with that uppercut, he should have been creating space himself, not letting Hammer come into him. Just create the space and wind that big right hand up from any angle that he could land it on Hammer. Because he's got him hurt. He legitimately had him hurt at that point. He couldn't do it because he's he's not nasty enough. He's not fit enough. He's not a good enough boxer. He couldn't keep that range on Hammer. He allowed Hammer to come in and just spoil the round to the end of it. And then Hammer just composed himself and worked his way into that fight again. There there is no way a man of Hammer's size should be able to get inside David Price that easily. And it was easily. There is no way whatsoever he should be... And you could see it with Erkan Tepper. Erkan Tepper did exactly the same thing. And that's what Christian Hammer's done to him. Is He's bullied a man... A third bigger than he is. It's just so weird. Like Price is not a boxer. I'm, oh. So after that rather tepid and fence-sitting analysis <laughs> of that fight, is David Price's career over? It was over years ago. <laughs> look, look, hand on heart. If I'd done this podcast five years ago, I'd have said to you, "What's the point of David Price? Like you're a big man, you're retreating." You can't jab. And because you can't jab, you can't really throw that right hand. You haven't got a chin. You haven't got stamina. Like, like if you had Friday Fight Night on the PlayStation, right? David Price would be just like 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 height 10. <laughs> and that would be it. And that would be it. And he'd be that guy that no one ever picked as a fighter. Because he would just get, he'd just get touched and get knocked over. You know, but let's be honest. If Price retires and becomes a doorman somewhere, who's going to be scared of him? <laughs> Mate, you got to leave. Nah, I'm staying. I'm staying because I know what you're like. You can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. But but questions need to be asked about Dave Caldwell yep. here. Yep. What has he been doing? It, has he just been focusing so much on Bellew that he just let Price do what the hell he wants? Because that, that's what it looked like to me. Or if he has been focusing on Price, I'd be worried if I was Tony Bellew. The biggest loser out of last night was not David Price because his career has been a ghost for years. It was Eddie Hearn. Because, you know, Price, if he'd have won that, Eddie Hearn could have had him lined up for Joshua, you know, probably in the summer as a legitimate 
you know, he could build him up to be a legitimate threat. No matter how shit he was, no matter how shit he is, he could probably still build him up to a legitimate threat because it's Eddie Hearn. But uh, what? it was just so bad. And I feel for David Price to the extent of he's a human being. I don't feel for him in the fact that he's been masquerading as a fucking professional boxer for the last few years. And let's touch on, because on social media, we've heard this, man. Guys have been like, listen... If you haven't been in the ring, you're not qualified <laughs> to talk. And I'm a bit like, so by your own logic, if I go into a restaurant and the waiter spits in my food, I can't complain, right? Because I haven't ever served food in my life. I don't understand it. I think no, the best that- one of that was when Alton Towers had the crash. Paul Smith Jr. came out saying, like, this is terrible. Alton Towers need to sort it out. Someone tweeted him back going, you've never run a theme park, so shut up. <laughs> And it's true. So, <laughs> boxers want it always. Here's the truth, right? You can stick up for your own as much as you want. At the end of the day, in any other job, David Price would have been out of the industry a long time ago. You know, there's only so many... Only politicians get as many second chances as David Price. And you know what I mean? They're no good for us either. I mean, what do you do? Like, you just... Look, and I'll say to, all, to any boxer who says you have to be in the ring to have an opinion on boxing, fuck off. Yeah? Just fuck off. <laughs> You don't, because oh my gosh. because you ask me to buy a ticket, right? So I buy a ticket and I consume the product, and I'll give you a, I'll give you my opinion on that product. Yeah. I paid, you know. Now all this, you you have to be brave to get in the ring. No, you don't. How many times have you ever watched a football match on Sky and at half time at Old Trafford say sixty thousand fans boo because they're one nil down? You don't hear the commentators saying, "Well, well uh, they've never played." Yeah, they've never stepped on a professional football pitch. They shouldn't be allowed to boo. It doesn't happen in any other sport. But more importantly, I'm not listening to people that have no GCSEs anyway, right? You're not telling me how to form an opinion. You know what I mean? That's the bottom line of this. And anyway, even if you have stepped in the ring, you could still be fucking useless like Richie Woodall. So, you know, just because you stepped in the ring doesn't make it a valid, you know, (laughs) a valid point that you're making because you might be Richie Woodall. And that's a terrible thing to be. Uh, That sort of argument got... Um, put to bed a long time ago in football like you, you hear it on radio shows that you listen to and the the argument of you haven't played the games you can't have an opinion just fell on its fell on its face a long time it's ago it's always the one like if imagine Jose Mourinho said that to an interviewer now like if United go and lose 3-0 in the FA Cup or whatever, and the interviewer goes, Jose, that was a really bad performance. If Jose Mourinho turned around and said, you've never played professional football, you can't criticise me, it would just look like that was a last resort yeah, answer. Yeah, I mean, I think like it is though, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. you've absolutely emptied the cupboard of every <laughs> other answer <laughs> possible. So it's you've like, just gone, uh... It's just uh, roadblocking the conversation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm off. Yeah. So, so, so if you're a boxer and you listen to this, I'm telling you now, right, there are some things you have to be in the ring to know, like, to know what it's like to get hit with 10-ounce gloves, happy to ask a boxer's opinion on yep. that. Because, listen, I get hit by Domac and Lardy in 16s, and that's not nice, right? Now, I can understand that. What your legs feel like in round 12 of a championship fight, happy to take your opinion on that. On whether David Price is a viable <laughs> heavyweight or not, <laughs> I think my opinion is equal to anyone's when I say no. On whether David Price should have been better prepared physically for that fight last night do I have as valid an opinion as Lennox Lewis yeah because I've got eyes that work because I could see my TV because I know he wasn't in shape for it Lennox Lewis was saying before the fight about when he went out to Canada because he was training with him prior to the Thompson rematch 
And he said to Price at the time, like, you've got to take this more seriously. And then Price bucked off after a week. <laughs> like, that summed it up for me. And you could see last night, Lennox Lewis, I'm sure when the cameras were turned away from him, was probably rolling his eyes thinking, I've seen this before. Lennox was like, I'll take him now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 50, well, I'm 51, 52 years old. I will jump in that ring and I will drop David Price right here, right now. I was thinking that as well. Like... <laughs> I think all three of us. <laughs> I think Ward was thinking that. Yeah. Duke McKenzie was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could kneecap him sufficiently. Uh, I don't even have to. I'll just run around for six rounds. <laughs> Imagine how bad Price is, yeah? He, he could be the sort of boxer you could not throw a punch for six rounds. If you make him move his legs enough, he'll just have to quit. He'll <laughs> take a knee. Can you make him take a knee? Can you imagine the CompuBox stats? Punches thrown zero. And you're there like, how did this fight end? Zero punches and you lose a 10-8. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but genuinely, like, I have to question Dave Coldwell as a coach, A, in the preparation, B, during the fight, telling him to go and get on his feet and move around the ring a bit is possibly the worst advice I've ever seen given to him. The only people at 20 stone who should be getting on their feet and moving are people in a Weight Watchers fucking class, <laughs> not people in a boxing ring. Finished. Wow. Right, take a breath, you two. <laughs> That's some serious, cathartic spewing of everything from that. slander to swearing to... I mean, I couldn't keep track of it. <sighs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you didn't... now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> for, the, for the listeners' benefit, Slim fast. both of them were standing up and shadow boxing through that entire run. <laughs> I was so angry. <laughs> but of course, both of us lasted longer than yeah. <laughs> yeah. Distance covered, plus one metre than David Price. Can you one imagine meter. Christian Hammer in the hotel in his changing room afterwards? Just laughing. <laughs> He's there and he's like, so so he knocks me down and I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna die. He's so big and scary. And then I just hear this oh, 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 I'm fucked. Oh. And I just ah, yeah, for sure. I think I, what I seem to feel like is this fight was perhaps the final nail in the coffin that you know right before this fight. Don't dig him up again. Hey, he's getting brought out. He's the white orderly. He's nailed that role. If there was a prize fighter that only lasted one round, David Price would clean that up. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I don't think anyone wants to listen anymore about David Price because it's only going to go one way. (laughs) Right, so the most questions we had about, in fact, the questions we, the fight we only had questions about was was Eubank, basically, um, in various forms. The most entertaining one I found was from a. Mr. Martin Theobald. I don't know where you dug this out from. This is brilliant. Um, so I saw it on Twitter. It's come, up, it's come up as Warriors Code Explained. The Warriors Code being what the Eubank team live by, etc. <laughs> Vacate the WBA interim title to avoid Danny, Dac- uh, Danny Jacobs. Avoid a rematch with Billy Joe Saunders. Vacate the British title to avoid Tommy Langford. Talk about Golovkin, but definitely don't fight him. Fight someone who has 12 fights who no one has ever heard of on PPV, use Dizzy Rascal as your chief sparring partner for world title fight. Is this fair? <laughs> I saw a brilliant tweet earlier that uh, it just made me laugh as so I sat reading it. That said, um, Eubank calling out Golovkin last night, uh, or after last night, is the equivalent of me turning up at Wimbledon with a tennis racket. 
walking onto centre court and saying I'm next. <laughs> oh shit! Now, Terry, um, what's your sort of breakdown of that? Because you're a, a a fan of the Eubanks, right? So first and foremost, just I think everyone has to shine a bit of light on on Reynold Quinlan. I don't think anyone thought he was that tough. Um, you know, tough as that puts Nick Blackwell to shame. He he is all heart and he was a credit to the sport for the way he refused to give up. So big congratulations to him. And I think we have to accept that Eubank Jr. was in with an opponent that we all underestimated. We all thought it would be a walk in the park. The guy, you know, as tough as he was, and he had a counter right hand, and that's all he really brought to the table, but he was tough. I think you saw a bit of an evolution in Eubank Jr. Eubank Jr. of a year, year and a half ago would have just tried to blast him out in three or four rounds. No real jab, just a few slips of roll and then straight into the hooks. Um, took great advice from his dad, Chris Sr., just working on the jab and letting things flow from that. So he was able to use the jab to deter and discourage Quinlan, which then you know, started to sag Quinlan a bit. And then Eubank Jr. could be a bit flashy, take a few more risks after that. And then you just saw just the cumulative effect of just a shitload of punches to the face. You know, and you look at Eubank and you go, the jab looks good. The straight right could be improved. I think the left hook doesn't have the snap on it that I'd like personally. What about the one that he throws from three feet away when he jumps in? <laughs> That's quite Roy, Roy Jones-ish. I'm not saying Eubank Jr. is at that level, but you remember when Roy Jones would just, just look at you and jump in from nowhere and double up that hook? I think that's just one of those, just a bit of flash. It's a showmanship move, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... You don't do that against Golovkin. No, that's just showing that I'm in control of this, I can do what I want. It's the double uppercut he throws that puts a smile on my face. Because that, that will mess anyone up. And I don't... Look, we saw what Golovkin had to, I mean, Brooke dealt with him with that uppercut. If you remember where Golovkin actually, (laughs) he seemed to shuffle four feet from one direction to the other after the Brooke uppercut. So we know he's susceptible to those. So yeah, I thought Eubank Gia did, it was, he did what he was supposed to do. Give him credit. He threw a shitload of punches. He stopped the guy in a bigger weight class and Quinlan comes down to 168 and Eubank was going up. So Eubank's not mature at that weight. So give him credit for doing that. And he's not the only person who did that. I mean, you know, Ward fought Brand at 175 and he fought Barrera at 175 to build himself up at the weight. You know, this is what happens in boxing. You know, when Brook moves to 154, he will do the same thing too. Look at Crawford. Crawford's not touching 147 yet. He's he's inching his way up. So let's understand how boxing works and not judge Eubank to a standard we wouldn't judge anyone else by, yeah? This is a guy who's going up the levels to challenge himself. Like, you know, where's Golovkin? I think the biggest question to me coming off the back of it was what did he learn from that fight that he wouldn't have got out of a fight with Tommy Langford for the British title at Su- uh, sorry, middleweight? Um, because they they talked about Tommy Langford was in too much danger so they didn't want to harm him. They're talking about flitting between middleweight and super middleweight. Um, I know there's this world title that ITV have clearly used to sell the pay-per-view on to the uneducated, and that's fine. But what did they get out of that? That as a fighter, you know, he wouldn't have got out of the Tommy Langford fight. Uh, I think Tommy Langford would have been a bigger test for him because Quinlan, as tough as he was, didn't have 
the weaponry, the arsenal to cause Eubank any issues, really. It was a one-sided beatdown. So it didn't sit comfortably with me thinking about why would you ditch that British title and not fight Tommy Langford uh, down at middleweight. And, it, you know, that then raises all the questions, doesn't it, about is Eubank this pay-per-view fighter that ITV are backing, um, irrespective of what the belts are? You know, we're never going to know for certain what the pay-per-view numbers are, but um, there's loads of questions around that, and I'm sure I think we've got a number of questions that we can probably, you know, chuck into. Well, Jack Bees asks, just wondering how good Chris Eubank Jr. really is, and if his future lies at Super Middleweight, what sorts of fights can we expect from him in the future? And he also says, cheers, big fan of the pod. That's nice. Good lad. Hopefully he still is after this one. <laughs> Hopefully he's not a David Price fan. Hopefully he's not sensitive to a barrage of swearing and... Yeah, don't play this in your car for the kids. Probably a bit late, yeah. We should have said that at the beginning. To be fair, right at the beginning, I was the one swearing. <laughs> fucking you off the uh, Guys, we, we, the we're just going to shut down the podcast for a second. Just for about 30 seconds. We just, just, just shut the music off, everyone. <laughs> How have I not got one of these t-shirts? <laughs> I thought I thought Martin gave you one. Clearly not. How 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 have I not got a new age boxing t-shirt? You did have one in my car, and then you didn't turn up that week, and then it got. Oh, then, then Andy got it. Oh, okay, that's the way it works. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ah. sort you something out. Don't worry, we'll be good. We'll be good. <laughs> okay, I'll press play again. Uh, right, so where are we at? Um, <laughs> Jack Bees asks uh, how good Chris Eubank Jr. really is and if his future does lie at super middleweight what sort of fights can we expect from him in the future Reynold Quinlan was better than we expected Reynold Quinlan was the Australian Martin Murray Chris Eubank Jr. dealt with him with huge ease I personally think he will win a legitimate world title because we're not calling last night as a world title I don't care about it he will win a world title, be my view, at super middleweight. He will never dominate a division. I think there will always be somebody better than him. I wouldn't favour him if he was fighting De Gale. I wouldn't necessarily favour him to fight George Groves. Oof. I wouldn't favour him. He will be the archetypal, I suspect, somebody who can nick a WBO title or something like that. I just He's never going to take the path of most resistance. He's... Based upon what we see of his career so far, he's going to nick a world title. I don't think he's ever going to dominate or unify. If the Eubanks are aware of that, then they've played his career so far quite smartly, right? They've done beautifully with it. You can't complain about what they've done with his career. Terry said it once before. I think most of us still believe that he beat Billy Joe Saunders. Like, I think if you, <laughs> if I went and read Boxrec, I'd be surprised that there's an L next to his name <laughs> because of everything that Eubank Senior and Eubank Junior yeah. tell us. I think you know it's almost brainwashed us to believe that he is the total package. He is almost brainwashed us to make us believe that he beat Billy Joe Saunders that night, despite what the actual result was. But one thing I will say in Eubank's defence is, when have you ever seen him rocked? You know. That always gives me hope when I can look at a fighter and go, Do you know what? I've never seen this guy rocked. I've never wow. seen his legs sag. He he looks like he could take an absolute pace. Has he I ever taken an opponent that could do that? I've seen him run out of ideas. No, which that is different. A, yeah, because I, so, but... so, I look at it and I go, okay, so if he fought Golovkin, I don't think he's going to get blasted out of there. And then it's just about can he get his offense off on Golovkin and is it enough to keep Golovkin off him? At the moment, I don't think it is. 
But Eubanks not getting blasted out of there in three or four rounds against Golovkin. I don't believe that for a second. Which is a feather in his cap. Let's be clear about that. If if Eubank were to go on the offensive against Golovkin in the last six or seven rounds, you'd have to just stand on the table and applaud and go... Well, to be fair, that's what you did with Kel Brook, didn't you? you know, that, I thought he, everyone sort of, at the end of it, said, well, you did better you, than we expected you, you to do. your opinion of Kel Brook. yeah. Let's be honest, if tomorrow <coughs> ITV came out and said, our next pay-per-view, and don't, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if it came out and happened... Our next pay-per-view is Eubank versus Golovkin. Is that happening? Don't be a knob. <laughs> well, the official Eubank expression is they're going to be talking in the next 10 days. Yeah. If he came out tomorrow and said, our next pay-per-view is this day against Golovkin and it's going to cost £15, who out there would not go and pay that £15 yeah. almost immediately? Yeah. And if anything, this goes to prove our point earlier, that if you actually spend some time... Uh, creating a persona that people feel like they in some way are invested in or can relate to or know the history of, they're more likely to be interested in the fights that happen. And the Eubanks are so consistently on the scene and doing all kinds of things that draw your attention to them that you can't help but be interested in whatever Chris Eubank Jr. is doing next. And if they went and did that and they invested in it that much that they got it over here at the O2... ITV would invest their scheduling around it. ITV would, you know, we've already seen him on this morning. We've already seen him on, I don't know what else, Loose Women or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, with him and his dad as that double team, you would see them all over ITV. You would start to see, and ITV would, I'm sure, put that documentary style together about the background of Chris Eubank Jr. Because we're all so familiar with Senior. Maybe see them in Emmerdale. Can you imagine that? Just strolling in his jumpers. In his jumpers. He'd look absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, but, you know, who wouldn't go and pay that money tomorrow if it was announced? And, and this is what Eubank is good at. He's he's a guy where we say, we will watch you, but we've got to see you challenged. If there was a fight where you're like, all right, Golovkin versus DeGale, you'd pay 15 quid for that. That has real meaning in boxing. I think it's a winnable fight. I don't think the gross fight is anywhere near winnable. Because Eubank Jr. will struggle against someone who has a strong one-two, and Groves has an incredible one-two. And I think that's where he'll struggle when, when you know, Groves can control distance better than DeGale can, in my opinion. So, I mean, someone, someone like a DeGale, but my suspicion is we'll get someone like Ryder. I think that Etches Ryder fight was a setup for the winner fights Eubank. That's yep. my sense of it. Okay, verbal warning asks. Um, why is Groves wrong for Eubank? Uh, is there a trainer that could make Price a solid heavyweight? We'll, we'll go with the, we'll go with the Groves Eubank one because I don't want to. I'm assuming I'm assuming that when given what has happened so far, the second question would be no. <laughs> <laughs> but it would just be long, full of cursing, and yeah, it would be exaggerated. Don't so, open wound. Yeah, so we'll go for uh, why is Groves wrong for Eubank? Terry? So, so big shout out to Verbal Warning. Hope you got the right gloves. Get the winning winning gloves will last you a lifetime, protect your hands, protect your wrists. God bless you. Um, why is Groves wrong for Eubank Jr.? Groves probably has the best jab in the super middleweight division. So that's always a good start. That means Groves is able to regulate the space between him and his opponent. And he's able to punish with the jab as well. And as, as we've seen in boxing recently, the jab has a great way of breaking you down. Like it, it, it saps your will and it takes your spirits away. What Groves also has is one of the more powerful right hands in boxing. And I've seen him rock guys who I thought were immovable. So 
those those combined means Groves can raid on Chris Eubank from distance. There'll be no leaping left hooks. There'll be nothing flashy. You'll have to work your way in against Groves. And Groves isn't one for just rushing forward. So will Eubank cope with someone who intends to break him down for the first half of the fight and take him out in the second half? I don't know, but Groves is the wrong guy to be doing that with because they're not that far apart in age either. So it's not like you're waiting for Groves to get old. Instead, I'd focus on DeGale if it was me. Right, another question from Anonymous. Says, despite Eubank getting stoppages in his last handful of fights, his lack of knockout power is fairly obvious. Will this stop him from being elite? I don't think it'll stop him from being elite. I think there are many other things that will stop him from being elite, personally. Um, I don't... As I said before, I don't think I ever envisage him as being somebody who dominates a division and taking on the biggest challenges there. And I think that's not necessarily just down to the one-punch knockout power. We know he hasn't got that. He didn't have it at middleweight. He's certainly not going to have it at super middleweight. He's proven it against Nick Blackwell. Um... Which, to raise a point on, did anyone pick up on Chris Eubank Sr. Uh, in the corner saying, go to the uh, the trunk and the head will fall or whatever last night? Which is exactly what he said he told uh, Junior to do against Nick Blackwell because he wanted to save Nick Blackwell's life. Um, so that just proves he was talking bollocks at that point. Um, he doesn't have that one-punch knockout power. He didn't have it against Blackwell. He's not developed it since... Um, I don't think that's what's going to stop him from being the elite. I just, I don't, I don't see him as having every tool required to be the elite level. I think, he, you know, if it was down to do his team talk a good enough game for him to be an elite level boxer, he would be unified in every division going. But when you watch him, I say, it's so hard to say. You can't quantify anything because he hasn't fought, apart from Billy Joe Saunders, he hasn't fought anybody that you can really say has tested him. So, Maybe that chin is going to be the thing that you know ultimately defines whether he hits that top level or not. Right, so my question would be, has there ever been a, a top-level, world-class, elite boxer that's gone down history as that, as that, with that renown that has lacked knockout power? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure there probably are. Can I name one? Not off the top of my head. I mean, look at somebody like Jorge Linares at lightweight. You say he's been an elite level fighter for a number of years. He doesn't have one punch knockout power. He has, you know, every tool going in the boxing box. Um, he's still got it. He proved against Crawler. He isn't knocking people out with one punch. I can't really think of anything through his career, but you'd still say that he should be in the Hall of Fame when he hangs him up. Wait, wait. But let's go through this rationally. Um, we're talking about one punch knockout power, right? I don't think AJ has one-punch knockout power. No. So, cross him off your list. Vladimir Klitschko, one-punch knockout power, uh, yes. Can you just quantify the reasoning for that? Or qualify? Because he's never knocked somebody out cold. You've never never seen AJ slip, 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 right hand, and the guy hits the floor. He's more of accumulation of the punches. So so AJ will stop you because you're just getting pounded by a big man with big fists. So when you go down the rankings, DeGale isn't really a one-punch knockout artist either. Groves is. Um, Golovkin, yes and no. Against Ishida, he was. I think he'll str- he struggles against bigger guys. Like He'll drop you a few times, but it's never a boom and you're out. You know, 
um, you struggle to find people with genuine one Canelo punch power. is possibly, you know, if you're looking down light middle, yeah. he smashed Khan into, you know, another canvas almost. I, I don't know if Khan's the benchmark for for, for power. No, absolutely. But um, who was it he hit with the counter left Kirk- off the road? It was Kirkland. Kirkland that he knocked, that just knocked him out yeah. clean. I'd say maybe Canelo is the best example. Yeah. Um, so, so- so, so genuine one punch knockout power is high. When you're talking elite level, what you're really looking for are a number of things. So you're looking for the the ability to execute consistently over twelve rounds. The elite level fighters are those who don't drop off that much over the twelve round distance. So, what if Eubank doesn't have it and it's not necessarily uh, required? What would he need to improve in order to make himself elite? Defense. If you can't hit Eubank and he can batter you with his combinations. You have no chance in the fight. It's that simple. But, you know, can you work on your defense while you're taking as many risks as he does? I don't know. But it's definitely solve your defensive issues before you do anything else. Okay, uh, George Fairfield asks, is there a fear Warren's dislike of the Eubanks could cause him to implode, leaving BT Sports vacant of its trusted henchmen? (laughs) (laughs) To implode? That's a great term. Oh, man, what the fuck was that Box Nation stuff about on Saturday night? Where they Don't get me wrong, I know what they were doing is showing three Eubank losses from 8 o'clock onwards. There were two for senior, one for junior against Billy Joe Saunders. Right, so you're referring to the running order, which was yeah a, a rehash of old fights. Uh, they had Eubank versus Thompson 2, followed by Calzaghe versus Eubank, and then followed by... Saunders versus Eubank Jr., which didn't Eubank Jr. win? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, not only are they doing this, they put it out for free, so it wasn't on the Box Nation platform, it was on free-to-air. Like, talk about how to devalue your own product to literally nothing. We value our product at nothing to piss somebody else off. Uh, I don't know, I hope nobody watched it, I hope nobody gets... I'm sure people did... Um, it was such a bizarre move. It's I put it up on Twitter. It's the equivalent of if your missus leaves you, you spend the next twelve months stalking her Facebook and like turning up. If she checks in, she's having a date somewhere at Nando's. Like you're there looking through the window crying. That's what that was. That's exactly what that was. We have another question from Anonymous. Um uh, or another question from someone who else who wishes to remain anonymous. We'd never know because it's all anonymous. Could we see Big Dom versus Gorman on ITV? Um, so Dominic ne- Akinlade versus Nathan Gorman, just yeah. to clarify. Next Saturday, your call. If you're in London, spend 35 quid for the Dove Box promotion. I will be there. So if people really want to come and yeah. kick my about the shit that I say, your call. David Saturday. Price knocking, paying over 35 quid. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so Dominic Akinlade fights on Saturday. Nathan Gorman will then fight the Saturday afterwards. Now, these two are lined up for a fight for the English title. Why is this interesting? It's it's interesting because you have two guys from two opposite ends of the boxing story. So I've known Dom well over 10 years now. We're good friends. Um, in fact, we were sparring together yesterday. So big shout out to Dom. The most skillful heavyweight in this country by some distance. A man who I wish I could have trained when he was 18 because we would have made a lot of money together. And Dom, Dom's been in the ring with everyone. Let's, let's just talk about the amateurs, because this is an important story. Dom had been in with Chisora. He'd been in with Price. He'd been in with Joshua. He'd been in with every heavyweight who's got on to do something. And Dom was looking at these guys going, 
I was never outclassed in those fights. So Dom makes a conscious decision at 31 to turn pro. And it was a bit of a stop-start thing, you know, you know, was he going to sign with Goodwin? Wish he had signed with Goodwin, but that never really worked out. He ends up with Dove Box, and, you know, they they, they push him. Um, Tommy Dove's a smart man, just signed people from Fitzroy Lodge, knowing that they have solid fundamentals. Now, you know, Dom in five years has managed to get himself up to the Southern Area champion and be a legitimate factor in the English and British heavyweight scene, which is impressive because a lot of people let their chance go. And, you know, Dom's living his life with no regrets. In the other corner, you have Nathan Gorman, trained by Ricky Hatton, formerly on the GB squad, but I think he went in as a junior. About the same size, 6'4", 6'5", similar build. Um, Gorman's impressive. When you watch him fight or you watch him train, he looks the part, you know. Like his, like his trainer, Ricky, very left hook happy, which won't help him against Dom. But he's one for the future, and he's risen rapidly to win the central area title. He'll fight for the English against hopefully Dom in April and that fight should be on ITV because you want to watch two big skilled heavyweights just go at it and I don't think any fan will be disappointed watching Dom and I don't think any fan will be disappointed watching Nathan either so if you're serious about boxing find a way to watch these guys box because you'll be impressed and you'll be excited David McGinley asks, under Adam Booth, how would Billy Joe Saunders get on at super middleweight versus the top four domestic super middleweights? And then he goes on to say, it will happen. Long pause as they consider um, an answer. Well, Billy Joe's not, he's not ripped at middleweight, if that makes sense. You almost get the impression he could boil down more. If he was if you're if you're gonna be a booth fighter, you know I mean you'll be in shape. And so him getting to one six eight in the kind of shape Adam Booth would need him to might take a while. Um you know, Adam's training's focused on being explosive. It's also focused around not taking as many risks as you might have done before, which suits Billy Joe, because Billy Joe likes to, you know, manage the distance and counter where he can. So I think that would work, but you're fighting against guys who are coming down in weight. So someone like a George Groves will walk around at 87, 88 kilograms. Um, he's a big super middleweight. And George isn't fat. He's not a guy that lets himself go. George is just a big guy. Um, you know, DeGale, not as big, but DeGale's also quite a big guy. You know, just having seen Andre Ward on Friday, some of these guys are not small. Billy Joe Saunders is not a big man physically. And... I wouldn't be in a rush to go up to super mid because he might get found out for his lack of power and his lack of strength. So Niall Duran asks, what chance do you give Eubank in a fight with the Gale? But I think we've covered that. Um, up for debate, but essentially, uh, yeah, it's, it's toss of a coin. Um, but estimated ITV pay-per-view buys from last night. What do we think? Okay, so to start off with the Gale-Eubank one, just quickly to touch on it from my end, I think... You'd be crazy to suggest that Eubank could beat DeGale right now. DeGale has just been in with probably the other best super middleweight on the planet and gone toe-to-toe and had his teeth knocked out and secured a draw. Chris Eubank Jr. has had one fight as super middleweight and beat up an Australian. <clears throat> like That's the levels that we're talking about for that. And Billy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many bought a pay-per-view last night? I think probably two million minimum. Uh, probably nearer to 8 million I'm going to go with <laughs> 8 million people 
I don't know. I, I, what I did see was a huge, huge shift in people's views <laughs> once the rugby had finished on Saturday. And I think ITV have done brilliantly to put it on after the start of the Six Nations with England versus France. People sit at home, have a few beers, watch the rugby. You started to see a bit of a shift in people's views. More and more people that had been quite adamant or at least were in the the undecided camp were suddenly very decided and reached for the uh, uh, you know the purchase. Not the purchase button, because you couldn't do that, but I had to go and register online, etc. Uh, which I think there were an awful lot of problems with from what I've read of people's experiences. We'd said it the other week. I've continued to say it. To me, this was ITV testing the platform. The platform has struggled and creaked and had an awful lot of problems from the commercial purchases, so the pubs, the hotels, etc., through to the individuals at home. Whether that is related to it being on the Sky platform, make your own decision, because it didn't happen to those that were on Virgin, and it didn't happen to those that watched it and purchased it through the ITVboxoffice.com site, make your own decision. How many bought it? I think you're probably going to be looking close to 100,000, be my guess. Um, so I actually found the model that Eddie Hearn uses to measure pay-per-views. And based on that <laughs> the model... The algorithm. Yeah, based on that model, initial estimates are around 1.2 million buys. <laughs> now, that's quite a conservative figure. What you'd expect is... With the cinema purchases as well, you might be looking at somewhere around 2.5. Because I don't know if anyone was around London, but London was a ghost town yesterday. <laughs> like, no one was out. Like, um, in the in the Sunday Times, there, there's, if you go on the website, there's a report that, like, in some places, pub takings were down 72.5%. <laughs> now, don't forget, everyone in a view cinema was worth six people. Like... For every one head, counts six. Yeah, and they're all paying £120 for the privilege. Was it? So, I read 180 Yeah, so so the Eubank purse of about <laughs> £17 million is about accurate. Um, that That's an estimate from Boxing Kingdom at Boxing Kingdom 14. Oh, they blocked me. Again. They blocked me. Because I think I got unblocked. No, I took the piss when uh, Richard Poxon or Poxon Sports uh, tweeted out the running order for the fight. And so I asked Boxing Kingdom to uh, confirm whether this was going to be accurate or not. <laughs> Um, they blocked me but in essence I guess what I'm trying to say here is whatever you get told about pay-per-views is rubbish Eddie Hearn lies about his pay-per-views because if you if you believe him right Anthony Joshua's averaged three quarters of a million pay-per-view sales across four fights that's three million pay-per-view buys that's 60 million quid that's 30 million quid to match room which would be the equivalent of the entire turnover as a business so we're saying Anthony Joshua makes match room twice as big so then you go that's utter bullshit. So what's a realistic number that AJ does? Maybe AJ does 200,000 buys. Not views, buys. And and this is the problem with pay-per-view. No one declares it. So what ITV will just tell you what they want to tell you. Um, the only risk they have is that someone in Sky goes, well, we're billing this many customers. And then, you know, that's, that, that's them debunked. But I think the other thing to bear in mind is when you next see Eddie Hearn uh, on an IFL interview, which you can be pretty sure will happen this week because he'll ring up Coogan and ask for Coogan to come round so that he can take pot shots at ITV. You can be sure that whatever formula he uses to contrive his own pay-per-view numbers, he will invert for the ITV ones. And so when he comes out and says it's 700,000 for his own 600,000, 
and you know that's twice as many, you also know he's going to be halving whatever number he's heard for ITV to piss on them because that's what he does because they're all little people trying to look like the big man. They're a bunch of bellends. Yeah, so no, I, I think if ITV sold anything, really, I'm being serious, if they sold anything north of 120,000, that's a success in my eyes. Uh, Verbal Warning asks, who should be next for Chris Eubank Jr.? Uh, this is a bit of a complex one, I'm assuming, because well, whoever you say is probably not going to be likely. So yeah. maybe give us who you would like to see uh, and then who you probably likely yeah. to see. Should be or will be are yeah. the two different questions. Should be, let's just get him into a world title, proper world title fight next. Let's get him in. Decide if you go middle or super middle. Golovkin should be the next fight. If not Golovkin, Billy Joe Saunders should be the next fight. Who will be? Uh, John Ryder, David Price, I don't know. Me, Pete Quillen. Pete Quillen's gone from 160 to 168, so put him in with Pete Quillen. You beat Pete Quillen, it means you're world level in my eyes. If you can beat Peter Quillen, that makes you, that legitimizes you at world level. Um, He's a good enough name, he's a skilled enough boxer, and he's a strong enough man. Is that a fight that can be made? Surely, because Quillen doesn't have dance partners. And, you know, you you can kind of save your hashtags because Quillen, Quinlan, no one's going to know the difference. (laughs) Okay, Andy Fowler's piped up and he says, congrats to Chris Eubank Jr. on his win tonight, but I wasn't impressed. Give me 12 months and I'll take any title of uh, of him he's holding. So, 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 most people know Anthony Fowler. Anthony Fowler is the guy who tweets far too much and posts far too much on Instagram for what he's achieved in the sport. Okay, you want a Commonwealth Games boxing, but boxing is not really a Commonwealth Games sport. In the Olympics, you got dropped and you got beaten. Yeah, that means you got dropped and you got beaten in twelve ounce gloves by a powder punching human being. Right, <laughs> just facts. You now want to call out Chris Eubank, who, for being honest, in ten ounce gloves will turn you into Nick Blackwell. You know, so have some respect and just know that you've got a lot of time where you need to. <laughs> I'm going to let you into a, a, po- a podcast secret there, dear listener. And I had to pause it then for Terry and Martin to gather their composure. <laughs> um, Terry, do you want to continue or? Um, so, so, so Anthony Fowler's done everything he can to flatter to deceive he's, he's he's like a bigger version of sam maxwell where you know there's a lot of hype but when it came down to it you know sam maxwell was boxing in in booth or wherever the hell that is um now you look at fowler like fowler thought he was going to be signed by eddie hearn by now and eddie hearn might still sign him but he's damaged goods he didn't come back with a medal for all of his talking he, the guy what the guy posts on social media irritates me i'm not a fan of his Eubank Jr. will mince him. That's the start and end of it. In fact, do you know what? Get Lee Purdy out. He'll mince him as well. <laughs> right, so the final thing before Argue the Inarguable, we have um, Huey Fury. Talk us through the current situation with said fighter, Mike. Right, so it comes out this week. There's the purse bids for the WBO heavyweight title. It's Joseph Parker, who won it recently um, against Andy Ruiz. And uh, Huey Fury is the mandatory. So it goes to purse bid, 60-40 split. We know that in advance. Joseph Parker getting the 60, Huey Fury to get the 40. It comes out during the week. Um, the result is Duco Events, who promote Parker over in New Zealand, have won the purse bids with a bid of 3 million US dollars. 
Um, so we'll be talking about two point each, I think. Uh, what's that? Was it about two point six million pounds ish? Maybe just under. Um, which makes you think. Why? <laughs> I don't understand why Frank Warren hasn't just emptied his war chest to get this fight over onto the BT Sport platform. Huey Fury is a Frank Warren fighter. Why? I mean. You may not make that money back on day one. You may not make it back in sales for BT Sport. But if you've got that world heavyweight title holder then, and you've got Anthony Joshua, who's super popular over on Sky, yeah, at the moment, Huey Fury probably couldn't sell out a leisure centre. But you legitimise him on BT Sport with a world title belt around him. He becomes a world champion. He becomes the, the world heavyweight champion. The BT Sport narrative, the Box Nation narrative, is that he would become the world heavyweight champion, taking after his cousin Tyson. They can, you know, absolutely piss all over Anthony Joshua at that point, pending the outcome of the Joshua Klitschko fight anyway. So I don't understand. We're now going to get it at probably like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday from New Zealand. Um, to which the viewing figures won't be particularly high. It's just it's such a wasted opportunity to show that there's a difference. This could have been the cutting point between Box Nation and BT Sport. This fight, you know, when it was Box Nation alone, there's no chance you could beat a $3 million purse bid to take that onto Box Nation. They've talked about how big this BT Sport deal is, and they haven't won it. See, this could have been the pivotal point between breaking away from the old Box Nation values and the old Box Nation money to making BT Sport into a legitimate boxing rival to Sky. And they've not taken it. I think they bid £2.8 million. Now, you're probably never going to make... Uh, say $2.8 million, sorry. You're probably never going to make $2.8 million back on the Huey Fury fight. And maybe that's the absolute most they could have lost out of it. And, you know, they know the numbers far more than I do. I'm just... I'm really, really shocked they've allowed this massive opportunity to host a world heavyweight title fight over in the UK on BT Sport, and it's gone. It's gone. Unless Huey Fury goes over there and then brings that title back, but Frank Warren's always talked about giving his fighters home advantage in world title fights, and it's gone. I'm... I'm confused. So, essentially, when you see, when you hear Duco events won it, you know Bob Arum really won it. Um, Bob Arum probably fronted the money, because... Go back to Parker versus Andy Ruiz Jr. They had to beg the New Zealand government to put money in there. Like they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't finance the fight themselves. So Warren would have known that, and I think he probably just tried to lowball them and go, "Well, they can't possibly get the money together to match my bid." And what what he's basically done is he shafted Huey, and this must make all fighters in BT Sport wonder really how much money are BT putting into this. And I, I'm beginning to wonder that already because that's the sort of fight you could realistically win that purse bid. Yeah, and you could sell this just off the back of Tyson. If if they're saying that Tyson's getting better now, just having Tyson in the background performing the Eubank senior role that would generate enough. Because imagine you got you got the two Fury cousins sat there going, "Look, you got him, undisputed lineal champion of the world, the best heavyweight out there, me future heavyweight champion." We're both coming for AJ. Is he ready to deal with me, then Tyson? I don't think he is. You know, and then imagine Warren just wheeled out David Hay as well and said, yeah, he can do something on BT Sport. There's, there's a whole thing Warren could have done, but I don't think Warren thinks in 2017 terms. I think he's still thinking like it's the 80s. So it's disappointing, but I hope Huey wins that title. 
and it's just a warning for boxers. Sometimes your promoter won't go all the way for you because Hearn would have won that purse bid. Right. I'll give you an arguable quickly before we disperse. David Price, Martin, is going for the Butterbean slash Homer Simpson approach to heavyweight divi- to the heavyweight division. And now I'll talk you through the tactic. Well, what he's doing, he's got to work it out over a period of time. We've talked before about how fighters don't just step up into a weight division. They've got to acclimatise their body to it. You could see last night that like he was starting to develop that muscle awareness of taking punches to his flabby body. <laughs> um, what did he come in? 20 stone last night? So by the time he gets AJ, which he definitely will based on that performance, <laughs> he'll get AJ in 12 months based on that performance. He'll be weighing in probably, I'd have thought, 30 to 35 stone. Um <laughs> But what he'll be doing is taking those shots off the arms because he'll be able to absorb so much. And like instead of taking it to the chin, he'll take it on his second chin. Um, and maybe even that third chin, it'll be rolling by that point. So like by the time he hits his optimal weight, because look at him, he's a big man. He's got a six foot six frame. Optimal weight of over 30 stone. That is going to be an unstoppable Liverpudlian monster. Take a seat. Come into the ring on a mobility scooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's going to be absolutely unstoppable. Okay, Martin, throw one to Terry. Terry, given uh, Frank Warren was unable to win the purse bid this week for the Huey Fury fight, it is a better thing for all of his fighters to take away fights and we never see any of them in the UK and therefore he builds up the biggest war chest known to man. I don't think Frank Warren wants to see his own fighters at home, if we're being honest. I mean, just, you know... It's, it's it's like that. I mean, that, that, that stepchild, isn't it? So, you know, whatever. You go where you want to go. So, you know, get the money. Don't see the guys. Get rich. You know what I mean, get keep Britain for the British. Have a laugh. Cool. Frank Warren, old school British values, values, values. Never done no one wrong in my life. Are didn't do any wrong. That didn't have it coming. Lovely. <laughs> that works. That's worked. Top effort today. You two, um, Tannoys. all right that takes us to the end of the podcast Uh, get your questions in for next week i hope you enjoyed it at new age boxing uk at new age boxing uk um at new age podfather at the seven wolves i think i managed to spit them out somehow run on empty now so just just a couple of quick shout outs as always then uh good friend lynn harvey had a fight yesterday over in Belfast, one in 37 seconds. Yeah. So, you know, you know what I mean, go keep the ladies boxing in the limelight. So that's really good. I know she had a tricky time in her last fight, so good for her to come back. Um, always, as always, man, shouts out to Umar Sadiq. Um, the guys at JFB Sports, you know, always keeping me entertained. Um, Dave McGinley, look, just for the some, sometimes on the record, off the record chats, he's a good guy, but he needs to stop being so anonymous. I'm sure at one time we'll be at your call and we'll see him. Um, hopefully I mean the whole blogosphere will be at your call on Saturday Shaz the pep talk guys Ange Hebden you know all those guys hopefully they'll all be they will all catch up get get a poppies inside of us I'm not paying for it this time Shaz um, yeah just you know shout out to everyone Craig Richards been quiet but you know he's all good um, look task for the Twitterverse just ask Eddie what happened in Portugal let's keep yeah. it going yeah, we can't Ed, lose no, 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 not Tenerife. What happened in Portugal? Why? You know what I mean, what happened in Portugal, Ed? That's all we want to know because 
You mean we're not seeing certain match from fighters, and it doesn't look like they're going to be around anytime soon. So what's happened, Ed? So is this the uh, the training camp for Davis, Burns, Cash, etc.? I, I I couldn't possibly comment. I no. just I just heard something something happened in Portugal. Okay, I'd, okay. I'd like to know what happened though. Can we turn the mics off so I can find out? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much for listening. Um, unless Terry's going to talk us through the in-depth uh, weekly goings-on in the deepest, darkest Mongolia. Well, well, no one's even asked me about my time with Andre Ward. How was your time with Andre Ward before I forget to ask? What a great man he is. So just high level. Andre Ward comes down to Fitzroy Lodge, you know, the boxing club where I learnt my trade. Um, you know, home of Dom Akinladi, home of David Hay, home of Leon Solid Williams, Javan Young. You know, like... Just historically, it's a, it's a great club, you know, and Ward comes down on the Friday, four o'clock, does a 40-minute Q&A with the kids in the gym. Like, just frank answers, you know, he's not one for controversy, but nice frank answers, honest answers, letting people know, you know, his view on certain things. Very humble man, shouts out to his wife, Tiffany, very lovely lady. She hot? Yeah. Good. Yeah, and, 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 and the business manager, Josh. You know, he has some very interesting views. So he's very high on the idea of moving boxing towards a model, an Amazon model. We had, we had a quick chat about that where you're like, well, hold on. If I buy a pair of boxing gloves or a mouth guard, I just get a banner ad that says Ward versus Kovalev 2, pay $15 here, click. And billing and payments all taken care of. So he's really high on just new models of financing boxing because your models aren't working. But Andre Ward spent four hours in a boxing club. This this is one of the all-time great boxers of our time. It's four hours just with the kids, enjoying it. You know, I think I think being around that made him realise maybe he should come here more often because I think the Americans have this asymmetric view that they're the only ones who are passionate about boxing and until they come over here. And we are far more knowledgeable than they are and I think we're equally as passionate, if not more so. So... If you really want to know what happened, go on www.fighthype.com. They've got all the video clips there. I think at various points you'll see me just lurking menacingly in the background, which is good. But there's a lot of good content that came out of that evening. So try and get hold of those video clips by all means. Is that it? Can we finally later... I'll carry on if you want. No. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Pleasure as always. Goodbye from me. Take care. Wish me luck trying to get to Leeds right now. (laughs) They're gonna get smashed. That would be a nice, a nice antidote. I don't know if you recorded that. Fuck. <laughs>